Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts and Block Talk Radio. Your host, Oscar Lopez. Welcome to the new year, 2018, alongside the uh, informative WFA All-Star Holly Custis tonight, and we'll have college football guru Troy Wilson. We're going to have a great show today. Uh, we're going to be talking to the beautiful and talented all-around linebacker from the Italian League, uh, Nausicaa uh, Del Orto, and she's uh, got experience going on with the football and at NFL Films. So looking uh, forward to talking to her about her experience and how the journey has come from Italy all the way to the States. Uh, All-star herself in the Italian League. So it's going to be awesome to kind of dive into that. We are also inviting you over to Snapchat all year long, our new launch, our new platform. Snapchat's going to be pretty much the place to be for us, uh, besides Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and the rest of our platforms. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, for the great sales in uh, December at the No Jerk Football Shop, and uh, that was awesome, and I really appreciate it. Um, it helps spotlight another talented athlete in the women's gridiron game uh, globally, as well as here in the States and North America. So congratulations to everybody that has a shirt from us, a legging, or any other item that we sell at our Noja football shop. Really appreciate it. Helps our project stay afloat. Uh, and we surpassed over 6,000 followers on Twitter, close to almost 6,000 on Facebook still, and uh, on Instagram, just going strong. Check out our Instagram as well. Um, you got the uh, legendary uh, Adrian Purnell from the LFL Atlanta team who uh, announced her retirement. Um, into motherhood, so she's not going to be returning this season for the team, but uh, she's obviously a pioneer in that league, has been in, been with the league since, I think, 2010, so it's a lot of years for her. And um, just an excitement uh, going forward in terms of what's going to happen in the women's game in 2018 in North America in general. So um, let's bring in our WFA All-Star, Holly Custis, in the house. Uh, Holly, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great, Holly. Uh, great uh, December. I had the two weeks off with family and uh, a lot of tamales and good fun with my nieces and nephews. So everything worked out really good and got to see my parents for a while there, too. Nice. Um, I went down to visit my family in Oregon and then uh, just kind of chilled the rest of the time that I had off, which is Nice, because most of my time off from work has been spent with football, so this is one of the few times it was actually time off, and uh, so I got to catch up on a lot of things on Netflix, and and it was a really it was a really good time. Yeah, it's a, and you know what? It's like uh, you, when you get away from all this social media stuff and actually go to Mother Nature once in a while, it's a totally different animal. You kind of get it's like you miss out on stuff. Uh, we're so dive into electronics now that we kind of kind of forget about smells and touches and what nature brings about, especially in certain areas of the country. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about the Northwest is that 
if you feel like you need to get away, you can just jump in your car and, and go any direction, uh, you know, a handful of miles, and you're you're out in nature. And it's really, I find it uh, it helps me feel uh, grounded. Um, so I always like to go on drives and hikes um, as much as possible. So I agree with that for sure. Yeah, and you know what? It's like out in Cali here, the weather doesn't change much. So there's always opportunity for hiking out in the mountains, and there's always opportunity for, you know, surfing, uh, all the other stuff that, you know, right here where I'm at, uh, up in Northern California and Southern, a little bit of Southern uh, San Francisco, it's, oh, there's always something where the weather's at least 60 to 70 degrees. So there's no excuses for you not to get out and do stuff outside. Definitely. Um, and then uh, the Northwest is kind of funny because the rain doesn't stop us. We still go hiking in the rain. Uh, when I went down to Oregon, my dad uh, took my siblings and uh, Jess and I hiking. And, you know, it was wet and cold, but it was still really pretty. And so uh, we don't let that stop us here. <laughs> exactly. Um, we have a great year coming up. Holly, we talked about it before. IWFL News, WFA uh, as well. And we also have new leagues springing up. If you check out our Facebook page, you can pretty much keep up to date on what's going on with the women's game. But overall, we have new leagues springing up pretty much internationally all the time. And you have mentioned that before, Holly, where there's like something coming up or some spring up. Even Morocco is starting their uh, their club, and they're uh, they're needing some financing, obviously, for gear and everything else. But overall, the growth of the women's game in 2017 was awesome, and I think in 2018 it will continue to excel to another level. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, every year since I started playing uh, 12 years ago, it's gotten better and better and better. And I think uh, the exponential growth that we've seen, especially this last year, is going to continue into this year for sure. And I look forward to seeing what happens because uh, one of the things I love about the sport is it's not just about playing. It's a complete uh, movement. Uh, just being able to be a female athlete on the football field is a big deal. And now that uh, uh, hopefully eventually we get to the point where having a female athlete on the football field is a completely normal event. And uh, so we're working towards that, and I uh, look forward to see what happens this year. All right. If you check out our feature on Facebook, check out our Facebook, uh, Facebook page. Go like our Facebook page. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's, uh, we've been doing a great job with our staff very proud of last year because we covered a lot of leagues internationally, a lot. And I mean a lot <laughs> from Guam to Europe, uh, to Australia, to Morocco, to uh, Brazil. Uh, we, we have some contacts right now in Central America over in Honduras and El Salvador as well that we don't know about, but there's some leagues there as well. Um, so it's, it's going to be eye opening, but if you go to our Facebook page, you can pretty much stay on top of everything. Uh, you can also check out uh, Mark Stafari's articles on the WWCFL stars. Uh, that includes Ashley uh, Bicklund, Claire Gore, La- uh, Laura Dacey, Allie Bell, um, uh, Elisa uh, Buckman. Some of those were also on Football Canada, the silver uh, medal winning team, Football Canada. So uh, check out those uh, insights there. And you get game recaps, like the uh, Gr- uh, Gridiron West recap for uh, Week 12. That was on our Facebook page as well. So uh, all year long, check it out. Go to Facebook for Weekly Insights. 
go to our Twitter feed for daily updates. And coming up real soon, Holly, we know, Snapchat uh, takeovers from a lot of athletes uh, internationally as well as here in the States. So really excited for the new year. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about the Snapchat. Um, I'm going to take it with me. I wasn't able to do it this last weekend, uh, but I'm going to take it with me when we have a workout on Saturday. Um, I feel like that will be some great footage for everybody. And, I mean, anytime you can get women's football out there on any kind of social media platform, it's a big deal. And so I'm looking forward to see how that takes off and, and uh, it should be a great 2018. Yeah, uh, and we want to give props out on the Seattle Majestics. um, And uh, they've done a great job on their platform so far in promoting their schedule, uh, promoting uh, some of the athletes, highlights from last year of some of the key athletes that were on there. So uh, we want to give a shout-out to um, all the the crew out there in uh, Majestics land for doing their part. And if you haven't got your tickets yet, uh, you can go to theseattlemajestics.com. And tickets are roughly about 40 bucks, right, Holly? Yes, uh, $40 for a season pack. And so that gives you the, the four home games that we have um, at a discounted route, uh, uh, rate. And then also, uh, if you go onto our website, there's a link to the women's football shop. Uh, which is basically Rebecca's, uh, our marketing person, is basically her baby. She created this whole shop online. And not only do we have uh, some general women's football gear, there's also some team gear and then individualized player gear. So like, if you go to the site and you click on my name, you'll see not only a link to get tickets, you'll also see a couple of shirts that... Uh, um, that Rebecca helped me uh, design, and then each individual person has their own little section. Uh, we also have, I think, the, the Austin Yellow Jackets are also on there, and Rebecca is always looking for more teams to work with. So if you have a team that's interested in getting involved, uh, I can contact you with Rebecca. She can get you on the site, and then uh, we just split the proceeds between the two of us. Um, it's just a nice platform that you don't have to do any overhead or work on. So, um, But, yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, we start practice uh, next week uh, with the rookies for a couple of weeks, and then we have full practice the first uh, couple of days of February and then onward. All right. So you're going to be a busy, busy lady, uh, regular job, practice. <laughs> and uh, we, are, we already have talked about, in and out on the radio show, if anything. So, uh, but you're going to be very, very busy, but, uh, you know, shout out to your team, shout out to the organization. We had talked to them before. And so, um, doing a great job on social media all the way around. I am, I'm thinking at this point, um, you're getting a lot of fans that didn't even know you existed in Seattle. You know what I mean? So it's, it's going to be nice to kind of get that feedback, uh, either on analytics or in general, just uh, on, you know, outside of just when you walk around and go, oh, yeah, we know what that what your team's all about. So that's got to be rewarding. It definitely is. And like we talked about a lot before, the Kiwi feel of this war is marketing. You know, a lot of teams just don't have the budget to do the things that they want to do. And social media is an avenue that uh, the teams can take advantage of for little to no cost. Uh, if you know, you know, how to do it correctly. And uh, that's how most companies are doing the majority of their marketing anyways nowadays. 
<clears throat> and uh, so the more you're able to get out there as a brand, um, the more people are going to be aware of who you are, which compounds in a good way. So if I, you know, if, if Rebecca posts something on her Facebook page and, uh, you know, five people look at it and there's five people turn around and they share it to their friend group, then all of a sudden we have access to their entire friend list that we didn't have access to for. And then those people might turn around and come to our games or maybe we find a player out of it or maybe we find a sponsor. It's 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 completely how we network today as a society. So it's really important that teams are out there and putting that work in on that side. And, uh, you know, given the scope of the change in the IWFL, it only, uh, you know, it's only beneficial for some of the teams in the league, obviously, to coordinate and try to work together in a network sense to, uh, one, enhance the brand, two, enhance their own team locally, and three, to really bring, uh, you know, attention to the sport uh, into their local community areas and to make them aware that, obviously, um, there are women that play American football and they play at a high level. And that's what uh, we want to get the word out. And that's been our platform since 2009. And I think that's the goal for everybody. Just to the fact that you can bring somebody, somebody's attention to that, it, that's a starting point. And then you build from there, you know, sponsors, as you said, and, and et cetera, and fans coming in regularly and, and be loyal to the brands and stuff like that. So it works out really good. Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, as our sport develops, it's important that we also develop on that side. And, um, you know, I've, I've stated before, it seems to me that most of the teams that are really successful in our sport on the field are also successful off the field. And I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Sometimes what you find in our sport is you find well-intending people that love football but might not have the business sense. And then you find people that have the business sense but don't actually know a whole lot about football. So it's it's imperative that we find people that have both skill sets or at least match them up and that we all are collectively working together. And that's something I do think the sport does well. <clears throat> if a team has an idea um, and shares it with other teams, I think that's, that's pretty typical now. And I think people understand that, yes, you want your team to do well, but you also know that when the sport does well, you in turn do well. So um, it's it's imperative we keep doing that. Yeah, the key is really just engagement and making sure that uh, everybody's aware. Uh, I think we've done a good job in that. Uh, we'll see which which league is going to be bo- more business-minded than recreational-minded, as we talked about it in the uh, year-end review. So we're going to see how the in the North American swing of things, in other words, here in the States and in Canada and Mexico, we'll see how you know the sport actually grows here because this is really the birth of the sport which would be in the United States and Canada as well as now in Mexico. So if this, if these three countries can really uh, do a good job, which they've done, um, you know, in Mexico at Shell with FX Mexico and Lexfa have done a good job there, just similar to WFA and IWFA in the States. And then in Canada, you have the uh, Maritime and you have the WWCFL as well. And so uh, you can create a strong uh, message in this side of the continent Obviously, that's going to that's going to draw attention um, in other places as well, like Europe and Australia, and, and in between. I definitely agree, and I think um, you know, I hope that we can get to the point if we haven't already started taking that direction, where we have more international play. I mean, the 
event that we had in Vancouver this last summer was great, but I think we need more of it. I think the camps that we have are great, but we still need more of that too. I think um, hopefully we can get to the point where if you look at, you know, basketball, for instance, they have the Olympics, but they also have the Pan Am Games and the Goodwill Games. There's a lot of international competition, and I think that only makes the sport better, and I hope that we get to the point where we have more games between the U.S. and Canada and Mexico um, and as well as across the globe. I think we need more. Yeah, we have uh, different leagues worldwide now starting. I mentioned uh, Morocco, mentioned Brazil, who's been in play for a while. Um, also have leagues in Europe, in all places of Europe pretty much at this point. Uh, Great Britain, and then obviously the staple Finland and Sweden um, countries already had established programs uh, with stronger men's clubs as well. And that's, I think that's going to be the key. It's not so much here in the States because it's, it's a totally different uh, concept from, when, you know, from the people that I network with. Out overseas, there is more of a uh, unison between uh, male clubs and and the female clubs versus here in the states, and I think that's that's the missing piece of the puzzle here in the states. And once we get that fixed, you know, hopefully, you know, we get a college type of setup where they support the game, where the NFL. There's got to be something of that type for us to um, go ahead and you know elevate the game here, which is the birth of the game, and so it should be awesome. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in in Europe, I think especially, um, it's it's. I think they kind of took the the soccer method, where a lot of soccer clubs have you know men's and women's sides, and I think they started doing that with uh, football, and it seems to really help. And I agree, there needs to be more interaction. Uh, when we went to the game down in Vegas, I mean, there were um, some. Uh, we were there for the semi men's side as well. It's our own game, and so it was good to see some interaction, but I think there needs to be more, um, and I think uh, that will help a lot. All right, let's go into the No Joke Football Huddle, sponsored by Zazzle.com. You get all your stuff, gifts, leggings, keys, and everything else at Zazzle.com forward slash Kurt Iron Beauties. Check it out, uh, up to 40% off daily. Make sure you use the special codes uh, at Zazzle.com. Save big-time money on shipping as well as other stuff. So, Let's go into the No Joke Football Huddle and let's talk to the uh, beautiful and talented all-star from the Italian League. And we're looking at uh, Nausicaa Del Orto, um, and she's at part of NFL Films as well. So, Nausicaa, welcome to the Gridiron Blitz alongside the WFA All-Star Holly Custis, Oscar Lopez here. Uh, happy to have you on and talk about uh, the, uh, the CIFAF and its growth as well. Nausicaa, are you on? Me? Hi, Nausicaa. Hi. Sorry, a little technical. But uh, welcome to the show. You're on with uh, Holly Thank Custis you. and myself. And uh, looking forward to chatting the stuff. So um, congratulations on your NFL Films uh, you know, opportunity, which was yeah. literally exciting. Uh, you had uh, Phoebe as well. You had other players going into certain football clubs as well, and they did their internship. But uh, you got an opportunity to go to NFL Films. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's, it's so, I'm so glad I'm here to talk to you guys about my journey and everything that is going on in Italy and 
here in the U.S. Um, I'm super excited, especially for, like, the Super Bowl and and also the, like, women's careers in football forum. I'm really excited to be part of that, too. Nausicaa, that's tell us a little bit about that in terms of the overseas players. Uh, you, I know you got to meet a lot of overseas players at the camps and stuff. Uh, what was the feeling for them? Is it a big opportunity now to either come to America or just the fact that they can get more more in, information about bringing their level of or their team sport or their team to another level in their country? So, so when we come to the games to do a women's um, a world football games, uh, what is nice for us that we come from, from like, Europe is that we can learn more about the game. We can, like, be coached by people that are actually, like, professionals, and it's amazing. And also having all the attention, all the equipment that we don't have, because usually in Europe, like, we pay for everything. Um, and all the things, there's no money. Like, we literally play, play for pizza. So it's like, um, it's really nice for us to get more information, learn more, and yeah, like learn more to even teach to our teammates what we learn, you know? So it's very important, I think, for these camps to be developed and for these camps to be organized even better because this year, like, we had some problems. Like, in Europe, so many players can come to the woods games because they have been organized at, at the last minute, you know? And it's been a problem for many, many players all around the world, so it should be organized better. A little in advance, I think. I think it was a late uh, situation. Hopefully the calendar will change. I've heard uh, everybody on the group board saying August probably be the best time to do it. Uh, September, somewhere in that aspect of it, because there's a lot of teams that play certain uh, months throughout the year, like here in the States, you're playing literally in April through August. And then in, in Australia, there's a league that plays in February. And then obviously in Europe, there's teams that play in certain calendar states. So, yeah, it's kind of disappointing in that sense. But the last three years have been exciting because there's been a lot over 300 players coming to the camp. So, um, you know, one year is not going to affect us in that sense. But hopefully we, we build on the next year for that. Exactly. You live and you, you, live and you learn. I mean – you you have this camp and it's the best thing ever. Like it's the mo- most exciting like time of the year for us. It's like Christmas. It's amazing. We meet each other. We we like learn about each other's journeys and each other's programs, and it's it's just so much fun. So, um, yep. Nausicaa, tell us a little bit about the CIFAF and uh, and the um, the FIDAF and how that's came together to create the league and it's been very exciting. There's been shifts in, uh, in teams, right? There's a lot of this from the beginning to now there's been, you know, merges with certain teams joining together and then there's, but, but it's been pretty exciting to grow the sport there. Yeah. So basically seven years ago, we started like in a park and we were five girls in a park with really old equipment and other five girls in another city started to play football. And, like, after that, it became, like, seven, like, versus seven. And we did a game. And from there, it all started. And now we have, like, 15 teams and one national team. So what Italy uh, 
was trying to do this past year is like creating a championship. We had a championship for several years. And what happened is that many teams merged together because they didn't have enough enough players. Because every year, like, new girls come in, but they don't have time to learn. So what what the, um, the chief of the Federation of Football decided to do is that to usually we play from April to, like, July. And this year they stopped, like, they stopped the season. They're not going to do from April to to July, they're going to do a season that's going to start in September. This way, more teams can develop and, like, have more players that can have the time to learn, you know? So now so many other teams are being created because they have more time. And during the year, what the players in Italy are doing is that they're doing, like, friendly games. So I think it's very interesting. That way you have, like... you give time to the girls to learn and to try in friendly games and then do a championship. And I know, uh, Natsuka, the Italian team and the, and the league has uh, always done friendlies with the uh, Warsaw Sirens in the last couple of seasons. Yes. So they also needed yes. support in that because there is small, a small uh, group as well with members issues yes. as well. So it kind of makes yes. sense to have international friendlies to just kind of grow the sport at the same time. But, uh, also give, like you said, the opportunity to the young players to kind of evolve. Yeah, exactly, because you need time to learn and to be confident, but at the same time you need games, friendly games, because the game, like what you feel during the game drives you for an entire year, like for real. Like every single game is an experience and it gives you so much adrenaline that you just want to do it again and again. It's like a drug. It's like a tattoo. Like, people say that if you get a tattoo, you want another one. It's the same thing. Like, it's a drug at some point, but an healthy drug. So I think it's very important to continue to do those games. And this year they played against the Broncos. Uh, it's another team from Switzerland. And, yeah, I think it's it's the right way to do it. I think we should do another friendly game with France that has troubles, too, like playing because they don't have a real championship yet. So it would be nice to have a friendly game with those teams too. So Nausicaa, as the face of the CIFAF, that since I've been following the Italian league, uh, it's, been, yeah. it's, it's a pleasure to it's a pleasure to talk to you. That's uh, it's been exciting. I've from seen you on photos, seen you on video, uh, you know, impactful photos from from a lot of uh, amazing photographers that took photos yeah. from you guys' games and everything like that. Um, yeah. One of our impactful uh, photos that we use on our sw- on our uh, Twitter feed to kind of spotlight your league is the one team photo where there's unison in one team and it's kind of exciting yeah. group photo um, and it makes the fans kind of aware of like a team effort there. But um, just to have you on today, it's kind of a pleasure for me to kind of have you kind of give us an insight of all the things that have happened in, in Italy, the struggles. As well, yeah. you know, we have other countries that have struggled in numbers, you know, in the Spanish league, you're yeah. talking French league. So there's a lot of work to be done in certain countries just to yeah. get the sport to, uh, on a woman's side, get the sport on a woman's side to be accepted more and supported more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of sacrifices and some people want to do them, other people don't. But 
everybody that really experiences a game experiences the attention that the coaches put in every, like, training camp or every single practice. Like, they realize how much it means and how much football can really affect your life and, and change you into a better person. So I think that it's very important to keep promoting the sport, keep pushing, like, doing a lot of, like, little camps for like to engage more 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 and more girls, you know. That's that's what we do in Italy. Like we go in schools, we teach them flag and then we we take her to our practices and we just spend time really promoting what we can do because football can really change your life if you let let it into your your home and make like, you know, open the door to football. So so, Nazika, yeah. are you are you missing Italy at this point? Is, are you are you homesick? Uh, well, yeah, kind of, but um, I make my own food. <laughs> it really helps. I know because here it's different. Um, so that helps. My mom came to visit, like, and I have my team now, my my new team. So, um, I I kind of like it in like right here. So I miss home, but I miss like. Italy, uh, like vacation Italy, you know, like when you can go to the yeah, yeah, yeah. and relax. So that I miss, but I'm good where I am. Like I'm living my dream right now. I'm at NFL Films. I, I love what I do. It's like what I'm born to do. Like I'm so happy right now. It's like I'm going to the Super Bowl, like for real. I'm going to be there. Like it's the, it's the dream of my life, you know. No. So, Are you getting goosebumps right know. now? Because your voice sounds like you're getting goosebumps for <laughs> just goosebumps yes, to go to I the am. Super Bowl. I am. It's good. I feel like it's incredible. It's like crazy. Every time I'm on the field, it's just my my eyes are bright. It's like I'm in love, you know. So yeah, I'm so um, I'm so happy. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the NFL films, um, you know, opportunity. Did that come about with a lot of people helping you or? Did you make some contacts and then you, you got back and then they got back to you and um, then all of a sudden, uh, when did it hit you that I this is for real, I'm here, I'm part of this huge NFL, you know, e- event and also part of this huge, uh, you know, crew that makes this whole spectacle on television? Yeah. So it's so funny because everybody that asked me, like, how did you do it? Like, how? And I'm like, dude, like, I applied. Like, you have to apply first, and then you'll see. But so I applied because, funny story, like, I found one of my teammates from the Women's uh, World Football Games. I don't even remember who she is anymore. Um, she posted the, the ad, like, oh, NFL Films is hiring. And, like, just just like that, just randomly, I saw it, and so I, I applied. And after, like, a month, I received an email, and I thought it was, like, one of those crappy, like, uh, emails with a survey that you have to complete and stuff, and I was like, oh. And then I open it, and it's an interview, interview request from the National Football League. And I, and I fainted. Like, I was, like, crying of happiness. So I did like two interviews and I was so happy. And then I got the email saying congratulations and and I had to 
like for the interviews, I had two interviews. I had to write samples. I had to do a bunch of stuff to even like get my visa. But like I, I was in, and I was so happy. And they probably liked my story. I also worked for Sky Sports for a while, so I had experience, and I learned so much here. Like when I like the best day was when the, my visa was approved. That was such a relief because it's very difficult to obtain it and everything. But then I, I stepped in an NFL Sims and every every day of struggle like disappeared in my head. Like it was the best thing ever. And basically what we do is that we log footage, like we research, but we also go to games, we run games, we we learn so much. We edit, like I edited like a, b- a bunch of, of things, like for social media, but also for inside the NFL. Like, it's incredible. It's just incredible. Like, on, when when you're on a game and you run a game with your cameraman, you have to assist your cameraman. You're you're on the field with the players at one one foot from you, and you're in the huddle. Like, you can you know, and it's like what. Like you, you watch Manning warm up. You watch Tom Brady warm up. You watch like the best players ever fooling around, breathing. Like you, you, you know. So it's just, it's just perfect. It's just what I've, what I've wanted all my life. So it's just great. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like you're having a great time, and it sounds like your <laughs> this whole opportunity has been like a dream come true, which is, which it has, because like you said, you're going to the Super Bowl. Who else would have told you that you're going to the Super Bowl? Um, besides all that. So, uh, Nautica, what, what is going on with the wild card picture here? We're going to, we're going to try to get your predictions here. Um, the Falcons take care of my Rams. Very disappointed guy right yeah. here. And I, I, I don't know what my Rams, I don't know what they did, but my Rams didn't come to play I, for some reason. Uh, then Cam Newton gets hit, and they put him back in the game. I don't know what happened oh, there. They should have taken him out from safety, but it didn't happen. So Drew Brees wins. So um, let's start with those two games. Did you think the Falcons were going to beat the Rams, or the Panthers were going to take care of the Saints, or was it how it turned out? Well, actually, I it, it went exactly how how I expect I expected it to go because you know the Rams like. They really show how much they're 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 grown uh, during the season. They've they've done amazing things. QBs getting better and better. But like, but like, um, the Falcons are more experienced. They 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 were there last year. They were there during during the Super Bowl. Like even if they lost, they overcame the loss and they made it to the playoffs. Uh, Matt Ryan is like ice. He, he's not afraid of anything. He's like super calm. He's doing his job, and I was expecting that honestly. And uh, what else? Um, for the for the for the Saints, same thing. It's a solid team. It's a solid team. Drew Brees has been around for a while, and his players trust him. You know, and if you have Drew Brees in your huddle. And then even if things go wrong, at some point you're going to believe and you're going to do your job and you're going to do whatever you can to win. And that's what they did. Um, for the next games, 
it's going to be hard for the Eagles, and I'm an Eagles fan, the Falcons. It's going to be hard, you know. They're in a really bad position right now. So we'll see what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Nick Foles can take you to the next level, but, uh, you know, weirder things have happened, but uh, that's going to be tough. And then Drew Brees against uh, Keenum, but you got Brees and Kamara on both sides, and that's the X factor, I think, to beat the Vikings is the fact that they could probably do that. Yeah. Kamara is doing great. He's doing great. He's one of the top. And, you know, for for in in regards of, like, the Falcons and and the Eagles, like I'm so sorry because Carson Wentz, like for me, is the MVP. He's the MVP, like for real. Like he he got hurt, but he's, he's an MVP. He, he he changed his game in one year. In one in one off season, he became what he is. He is right now. But it was just so heartbreaking for him to that for that to happen so to him. It was very heartbreaking because you you. Yeah. Like you said, you, the the season was so good, and just to have it end before the playoffs, uh, just a tragedy. But um, Nasika, let me bring in the WFA All Star Holly Custis in the house, and I'm pretty sure you've probably met her or seen her. Um, yeah. So she's got some stuff that she can throw out you, uh, at you as well. But uh, um, you know, it's it's been a great time for you yes. in the states, and it seems like it's going to continue. So let's. Let's have Holly uh, yeah. interact here with us. Absolutely. Hey, how's it going? Good. 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 How are you? Good. Good. I'm doing great. Um, so I know that you spoke a lot about, you know, the state of Italian football. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, tell everybody how you got started uh, playing football. Okay. So, <laughs> so I was a cheerleader. For a male football team, like a like yeah, they were yeah the college football team of the Simon <laughs> Milano, and I was cheerleader. I was watching them, and I was getting so excited. And at some point, like cheering for them wasn't enough for me anymore. Like I wanted to play. Like oh, I wanted to be there. So I took some of my the players' sisters, cousins, um, girlfriends. And I, I, I told them, listen, like, I want to play. Like, even my, my cheer, cheerleader teammates, I was like, I want to play. Like, let's do this. So we found a coach. We tried a little flag first because, you know, you have to have the basics, like how to throw a ball before you can actually play. And then, like, we talked to this guy, and we were like, listen, we want to play. Like, we, we really want to play. And, and they were like, what? Like, you want to play lingerie? Like, what do you want to do? And they were like, no, like full pads and everything. And they were like, yeah, well, maybe you can try flag football for two years or so, and then we'll see. And we're like, no, like there's no way. So we found another coach uh, who had been like um, an assistant coach at the Miami Hurricanes in the 80s. And he was, he was the coach of the high school team. And he believed in us. And actually, he actually gave us his jerseys and his uh, football gear from the 80s. So everything was too big, too large. The the jerseys, like one of the jerseys, was wear by um, the Rock, like in the in ninety nice. one. In the yeah, oh, wow. it's crazy. Yeah, that's, wow. that's an incredible story. So I, one of my first jerseys was from the Rock. Like th- that is completely crazy. 
And so we started practicing at the park because nobody wanted us in their fields. And we started, like, we were, like, five, and then we became, like, 12, like, in, in a month. And another team was being created in Bologna, another city. So our coaches decided to, like, play, to, to, to organize a match. So they were like, okay, guys, we're going to organize a game. You're going to play in Bologna in July. Let's go. So we do this game. Our pre- the president of the male team comes to the game, and it's crowded, guys. I'm telling you, like, there were a thousand people. And we played like it was a Super Bowl. We were, like, but we were, like, <laughs> in a sand field. Like, th- there was a sand on the ground, not even, not even, like, actual grass. And we were, like, with leggings and volleyball pads, but we were, we were good to go. We won the game. The game was super exciting, and the president decided to give us a chance. So we started that team, and from there, like, in seven years, it's grown so much with 15 teams and everything. That's phenomenal. Like, just hearing you talking about that reminds me of the, the first days I started playing, which I playing about 12 years ago. And I remember we had to play on grass fields at times, and then, you know, why it's just going to have to make it happen. And the work that you guys put in is going to pay off for all these girls that come in after you to play. That's great. Um, uh, So what is your favorite memory from playing football? Do you have one? Uh, Yeah, when I won the championship, when we won the championship in 2000. 13. Mm-hmm. The year before, that, um, we lost for one point. And I torn both my ACLs. So uh, for, for Carson Wentz, like, if you don't turn your ACL, you're not a football player. So that's good that he did it because it will come back. But thing is, yeah. like... <laughs> there you go, you're giving it a funny. Like... Um, we we lost one point. I was devastated. I had to had surgery and and come back and play with. Still, one of my knees wasn't was without ACL. So we played the second year. We go to the same field that was so scary the day before, and we we win like 33 to 10. And I I had an interception at the end. Like it was a great game. I played I played super well. Like. And I, I still have goosebumps. Like, right now, I still have goosebumps. And, yeah, that's one of my favorite memories ever. Favorite. That's that's awesome. I mean, I've had my own battle with uh, knee injury, so I get it. I mean, really, that uh, validation um, and vindication of coming back from that, that that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So, with the score in Italy, you mentioned how – um, your coach gave you some uh, equipment uh, from the 80s. How do you guys get equipment on a normal basis there? Do you have other stores that have it, or is it mostly that you get it online, or how does that work? So, basically, we had that, that, that equipment at the time because we had to try, but so for us it's so difficult to buy equipment because the stores that we have one store in the entire Italy that sells American football stuff. Actual, mm-hmm. an actual shop on, with an actual, like, also online thingy. Uh, right. And, and it's super expensive. Like, it's crazy expensive because they they import it and it, it's really, really expensive. So sometimes we buy it from the Dutch because there's a, in, in, Dor- in um, 
in Holland, they have like a, they have like a site where you can buy stuff. And also in Denmark, they have one. So sometimes we buy from there. Sometimes we ask someone, somebody in the U.S. to ship it. But it's also like very expensive, even when you ship it, because you have to pay for the customs. So right. we, we try to make big orders and put it all together and just do what we can. Um, and also, like, when you play in a team where they, they have both female and male teams, you just pay like 250 bucks per year and they give you the gear and you just you just use that you know you right. use their animals and their and their shoulder pad and and it's it's there though it's not yours i bought everything for me because i wanted everything to own uh but it was super expensive like a helmet is 500 bucks and a shoulder pad is 300 and if you have big boobs, you have to have the one with the boobs. So it's like, right. I don't have the boobs, thank God. But otherwise, it's like 600 bucks. So, yeah. Right. That's something that I hear a lot of international um, organizations have a hard time with. And I think it's something in the U.S. that we kind of take for granted. You know, um, uh, granted, uh, the actual sporting goods stores are kind of going away as a general sense, you know, retail going downhill anyway. However, yeah. we can still, I can still order stuff online and I can get the really expensive stuff if I want, but I can also order the cheaper, more moderate stuff if yeah. I'm on the budget. And I think we take that for granted in the States. Um, so, you know, more power to you guys for, for having to get creative and, and getting it done. Um, so when you uh, have played, um, every player I've ever talked to always has like a pregame ritual. Is there one that you have? Is there something that you always have to do before a game? Um. So what I do is that I write the numbers of the people that I really care about on my hands and on my like wristbands or anywhere like and even the names that of my family members, you know, because to remember uh, for who I play, but also, you know, like my grandma, when, when, before she died, she always told me like, live for what you love, do things for the people that you love. And everything I do at the end, I do it because of someone. And I love football so much. And I live of what I love. I live of football. So I just remember myself, like, when I'm in a struggle, like, who do I think of? Why do I – why do, am I going to push more to, like, you know, push my limits more? Who am I going to do it for? for? For the people that I love. So that's what I do. That's my ritual. And then I dance, I dance with my super hype music in the, in the locker room. And that's all. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, I, I I do something similar, and I I think that that uh, that it's great that you have that. You know, sometimes people play, and it, they're just playing the game. And sometimes people play, and it it's more of a life thing. And I think for me, I play in a similar way, where for me, it's more than a game. It's a it's a microcosm for life, and uh, and I think it's. You know, admirable that you that you play for those people, especially um, those that you love. And um, 
Anyways, with NFL films, though, what does your average day look like? You said that you did some you oh. do some editing from some footage. Yeah. So, basically, for example, I work for two shows that are called um, A Football Life and The Timeline, and they're basically documentaries. In The A Football Life, we, we, we tell the story of a player of, or of a coach, and in... Um, in a time, the timeline, we describe, like, a period of time or, like, a particular season or a particular moment of a player's and coach's life. So in this type of documentary, there, there is a lot of research. You have to look at every game. Like, for example, we did a documentary on Joe Gibbs. I had to look at all the games on 80, 83, 84, 87, you know, all the games that he, that he was coaching, the, the Redskins. And I had to like cut out cutaways, like when they 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 shot him or like a particular play and everything. Uh, and it's really nice for me because I've never watched the NFL before becoming a player. So for me, it's a lot of like learning. And also, like uh, what we do is like we research facts, we we edit. So if they tell us, okay, I need this this done, like you have to. I don't know, make a little video with the best mic'd up of, I don't know, um, uh, Peyton Manning, you have to do it. I did one, and it had, like, one million views. It was super exciting. Um, I also edited for Inside the NFL, so if one day they give you an assignment on Inside the NFL or a game, you have to basically build an, an entire recap of the game. And it's all about choosing the right shots and the right script, it's, it's like a lot of work even for something that is 30 seconds because the quality of the product here is insane, like insanely good. That's that's awesome, and that's something I've always hoped that eventually we can get on the women's side is, you know, a lot of us on the women's side, when we look at film, it's the film that we're looking at, the scouts, yeah. the, the teams, you know, so it's not as high quality. But uh, yeah. NFL films that level, it makes it makes it an art, and it's really beautiful yeah. to watch. But um, I've done, I've kind of dabbled a little bit in editing to understand how tedious and how much time it takes. So I'm really impressed that you're able to do that because it's a lot, and people don't understand yeah, how much yeah. work goes into a short, into a short Absolutely. little clip. You're like, oh, it's like 20 seconds. You're like, no, you don't understand. It to be like five days to get the clips all together. Like, that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. What do you think we need to do um, as a sport, as uh, as women's football to progress? Uh, definitely promote the sport more. Um, definitely, like, go into schools. Because schools are a great place for people to learn about, about it more. And for organized camps like Jen Venter does. Like, I've been in one of our camps at the Temple University, and I've coached little kids. And at first, you know, even little girls, they're, they're there because their parents brought them there, and they're, they're not really excited, some of them. But then if you really, really teach them, like, with enthusiasm and really engage, they, they love it. Like, I gave my gloves to one of the girls, and at first she, she seemed, like, super annoyed, and then she loved it. Because once you get in the game, you just, it gives you, like, a feeling that no, nothing else gives you. And I, I truly believe that it's, that it's true for everyone, you know, for everyone. Once you're in the game, you love it. 
So no, definitely. On video, in schools, like, people have to know. And the more you teach it in school, the more players you will have. I totally agree with that. I mean, that's that's the thing. We just need to get more people aware. Um, my, th- uh, my final question for you is, I know you're an Eagles fan, but who are you picking to win the Super Bowl? Ah. <laughs> it can't be the Eagles, Nausicaa. It can't be the Eagles. No, it won't be the Eagles, guys. It won't, probably. <laughs> um, I, 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 so, my first guess at, at the beginning of the season was Patriots because I was like, yeah, I mean, it's them. And then, and then I don't know, maybe there are troubles in paradise right now. So I don't know if it's going to work. Because <laughs> if, 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 if Tom Brady and Belichick are not on the, same, on the same page, it's done. Like, everything is screwed. They're not going to come back like, like last year. So right now I would say either the Saints or Minnesota. Either, either one that of those goes to the and those are two solid takes, and, you know, um, I totally agree with you that uh, Wentz was my MVP before he got injured. So, um, you know, maybe Foles can do it. You never know. But uh, no, I think no, those are solid takes. Can't trust me. I was there. I was there. At all the games he played, I was there. And he has no mm-hmm. clue. But because because he didn't have time to prepare, you don't build yeah. a timing with your receivers and with your if with your running back in three games with the super the right. playoff and everybody on your shoulders. Like you will not not get it. Like it's just the way it is. Well it's great speaking with you. I enjoy your input and I I'm excited to see you you know what great things happen for you this next year and keep working hard because it's paying off. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. It's my favorite thing, work hard. <laughs> Nausicaa, um, <laughs> of course. Nausicaa, are we going to see a uh, a football live of the collapse of the Patriots with the coach and the quarterback debate, as has been uh, brought out? Uh, you know, <laughs> first of all, I can't talk about anything, but what I was no, thinking, I know. Uh, no, but what I was thinking is like the Patriots are so hard. To like get into like they don't let you in for anything right now. Wow. With the village, like they don't want hard knocks. They don't want all that stuff. You know, like they don't want like very secret, very secretive I stuff. I, I've been told. I don't know, but I, I don't know if they actually want it or not. Actually, but I think they're really, really private. Like they're really into their world, and they don't want people to know what's happening in the super. Nice Patriots world, I think. I'm still I'm still on the Super Bowl 36 loss, and that doesn't sit well with me, you know. So I can respect them, but you know, other than that, as a Ram fan, I'm like I'm kind of a hater in that way. But uh, you know how it goes with yeah. team loyalty. Yeah, of absolutely. <laughs> All right, uh, Nausicaa, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I thank you for making the time. And I really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us some insights on the Italian game as well as your experience. Um, and uh, we look forward to all the other uh, awesome stuff that you're putting out on Football Live, the timeline. Uh, if everybody doesn't know it, 
integral part of that with the other team. And so uh, we want to congratulate you on all your success so far. Thank you. Thank you so much, really. It's been a pleasure to work with you. Thank you. Have a great night. I look forward to another chat, but uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. <laughs> enjoy the Super okay. Bowl. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye and have a nice night, both of you. Thank you. Safe travels. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Holly, uh, I had to bring her on. I've been trying to get a hold of her for like six months. She's been a busy lady, and then she finally made it to the States, and she's at NFL Films. And uh, I just wanted to bring her on because she's such an inspiration to the uh, the growth of the sport. She's like a pioneer for the Italian league, um, and she she was there from the beginning. As she said, you know, a small group of girls in a park, and then all of a sudden – here we are almost six, seven years later, and now the uh, the Italian league is kind of a formal league uh, in unison with the men's league. So uh, what, a, what an amazing accomplishment over that time. No, exactly. And I think um, as the sport progresses, you're going to hear more and more stories about uh, these pioneers in their individual areas and countries. And she's definitely one of them. And you can tell just by listening to her talk about football how much she loves it. Which is great. I mean, she's absolutely right. It's addictive, and it becomes a part of it becomes a part of you. And that's played every sport you can think of. And no other sport has given me that feeling before. And um, so I totally uh, can relate to that uh, passion that she has. And I think she's going to uh, do a lot of great things for this sport, not only in Italy but also um, as a whole. So it's awesome. Yeah, and you know what? The, the the attitude that she had was, I'm a cheerleader, but I want to play. I mean, just the fact that she just said, you know what? I, I need to get on that field. And then as, eventually, you know, she rouses up the crowd and she gets other people on that field. Uh, very inspiring in that sense. And then everything you see now, um, you know, when I see that, uh, before I didn't have a, no inclination, you know, a football life, a timeline and all that stuff. And now that I know that she's part of that, uh, every time I have to think about that and go, that that's uh, that's probably not one of Nausicaa's clips, you know what I mean? I, I got to just put it in my head and so impressed by it. Definitely. I mean, when you're watching TV, you, I mean, as a person, like an average Joe, just watching TV, you have no idea how much work goes on behind it and and how many people – uh, had to work long hours to get that up and looking as smooth as it is. And you're right. When you know somebody behind the scenes, then from that point on, it kind of it kind of drops the veil a bit. And, and then you start to see, oh, gosh, now I'm watching this clip, and there's a lot more to it than what meets the eye. And uh, so it gives you a whole level, whole another level of respect for it. Yeah, and she's been an outstanding all-star uh, from the beginning, like she said, she's been on a championship game. She's won. She's lost the championship. She's won the championship. Uh, injury, as to as she mentioned before, uh, persevered through that. And so now she's having a time of her life. I mean, I'm, I, you can tell from her excitement. She's going to the Super Bowl. She doesn't have to pay for it. She's actually getting to go to the Super Bowl as part of the NFL uh, umbrella. And, uh, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. I mean, it is, especially when you consider how expensive the Super Bowl is. I mean, a lot of the times 
it's so expensive to go to a Super Bowl or like a national championship that really it's just a lot of businesses and a lot of corporations that buy all the tickets. And uh, when she gets to go for free, I mean, um, that's that's an amazing feeling. And uh, uh, I think it should be a great time for her. And then I'll be watching the Super Bowl and, and, and trying to see if I can find her on the sidelines somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, she's been great. Um, I wanted to bring her on because uh, she really deserves all the uh, attention on that. And so an uh, awesome woman as well and a talented, talented player. Uh, she was a beast on the field as well. So uh, hats off to her. Um, let's move on, Holly, to last night. Uh, I was on Twitter and a bunch of other people with me on Twitter, including Fee Rain that was on Twitter and Troy Wilson on Twitter. Um, at one point or another, we just assumed Alabama had collapsed and they weren't going to cut the mustard uh, at before the half. And then Sabian decides to pull the rug under everybody and says, here, I'm going to go with my other quarterback from Hawaii that nobody knows. And let's make this a real game. And so uh, tell, tell me what you were thinking before the half, because I was thinking before the half, the Bulldogs have a great opportunity for this huge upset and take down Alabama right before the half with the 13-0 lead? Well, I think it was really an, a tale of two halves. So the first half, in uh, Georgia was moving the ball well. They were aggressive. Um, we, when we were going into this game, just the matchup on paper, you were going to assume it was going to be a uh, power-eye running grudge match type of SEC uh, game. And when the game started, both teams were actually throwing the ball a lot, and I think it was because they were trying to loosen up the defenses. And so Georgia was way more successful in doing that. You know, their freshman quarterback, Fromm, was loose. Um, he's, he's a quarterback that's going to play in the NFL. He has the height, the arm, and the composure. And he played really well in the first half. Um, and Alabama's defense was, was getting tired. And um, on the other side of the ball, uh, Jalen Hurts has been their starter for the last uh, uh, couple of seasons here. He came into the championship game last year. and But Hurts kind of has a certain skill set. Um, he's athletic. He does well managing the offense. But he's not a very strong down-the-field type of thrower. He's not that accurate. And against Georgia's defense, who's, who's – just as strong as Alabama's defense, he was struggling. Um, he was only, I think, three for eight for 21 yards in the first half, which is not great at all. And um, uh, I actually did not think that uh, it was over. Uh, Alabama is basically like the, the college version of the Patriots. Whenever you're playing Alabama, it's never over until that clock strikes zero, especially with Saban, especially with the fact that Alabama has – every single year a top, you know, one to, like, three recruiting class, the talent they have is ridiculous. So if they have somebody that's not playing well, they can throw in their backup, and their backup might be better than their starter. And um, I actually had heard rumors of uh, Tua before, and sadly, um, as a Duck fan, this one kind of hurts a bit because Tua, I don't know if you know, was basically Marcus Mariota's uh, understudy. Marcus took him yep. under his wing in Hawaii, and he was basically mm-hmm. 
he 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 looked up to Marcus as his uh, role model, and he wanted to go to Oregon for the longest time because that's where Marcus went. And uh, our old coach Helfridge is very conservative in the recruiting side of things and didn't pursue him um, as uh, you know early as his other teams were. And so Tua ended up going to Alabama, and now. As an Oregon Duck fan, I'm kind of like, God damn it, you know, type of thing. But at the same time, there's not much you can do now. Um, the other thing that say it I again. heard say it again, Holly. <laughs> say it again because we didn't hear you the first time. <laughs> it's like, God damn it, because this kid is great. I mean, so he comes in, and it's obvious that he's a freshman because oh, yeah. times where I think he held the ball too long, uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he has a, an arm downfield that is really great. He kind of reminds me of a hybrid between Marcus and between Russell Wilson. He has ability, like that one run that he had on third down where he, he basically got hit like five times and spun around like top and then somehow got a first down. That was definitely a Russell Wilson move. And then he has the um, ability to throw downfield like Marcus does. And he, if you work with him for a couple of years, he's going to be great. Um, and I he think was a, that one, that heard, throw, that throw in overtime was like a la uh, you know Drew Brees type of throw, <laughs> which is like it was, right on. It was it was crazy because okay so um, he comes in he gives um, Alabama life and here's the thing I think that Georgia did not do well and this is something I see a lot in high profile games is you have a lead. And then the other team starts to come back, and they have momentum, and then you start getting conservative. And so I'd say, like, the first series in the third quarter, Georgia was okay the first couple, but, like, halfway through the third, all of a sudden they start tightening up. All of a sudden they start getting predictable, and they start running the wild – they call it the wild dog instead of the wild cat offense. And it was hella predictable as a defense. So And then you're oh, just yeah. playing right into their – right into the momentum because – when the quarterback sprints out, they know it's a wild dog. Okay, so now they just blitz all the gaps on the right side because they can see it's going to the right side, and boom, it's a loss. But now you just made them even more excited. And so I think Georgia, the coaching staff, got really conservative, and I think if they had kept their um, play calling the way it was in the first half, it would have been – they might have been able to put the gas enough ahead to keep Alabama away. But uh, Alabama came up and tied it, and then the quarter, or the kicker missed the field goal. I'm like, okay, great. Field, you know, I love college overtime. It's so exciting. And I can't believe this kid got sacked, uh, probably the worst play um, that he had during the game, where he not only gets sacked, which is the worst thing he could have happen in that situation, he got sacked, like, all the way back at the 42. And I'm like, great, okay, so the George defense, you know, you see the whole couple of plays, their kicker's not very good. They might be able to do this. And in the very next play, and this kid just, boom. It's not a, like a lot of down throw feel, like throws like that, it, there, there's some arc to it. A lot of times uh, quarterbacks are trying to put touch so their, their receiver can run underneath the ball. This this was a dead ringer rope, and it was right where his receiver could get it and right between the corner and the safety and I thought somebody blew their coverage when I looked at it again. I mean, it wasn't great coverage, but it wasn't blown either. It was just the perfect throw. And so 
the courage that, that that kid had being like 18, 19 years old on the stage and not playing the entire season, really, and then all of a sudden in that situation was great. And so it's kind of ironic, but it, it really felt like a minor version of the Super Bowl last year between the Patriots and the Falcons. And I'm fortunate for the state of Georgia, both of their teams did not know how to close the games out. And, um, and, uh, but it was a great game to watch for sure. Go, go, go figure that that was going to happen. Go figure that was going to happen. Because at first I thought for sure, uh, within that scope before they switched the quarterback, I really thought that was the end for, for, you know, Alabama. But, you know, once it's, they started rolling in the second half, they switched the quarterback and there's a little momentum going, man, I, I told, uh, one of my buddies, I was like, man, this is a game changer right here. This, this, this kid's going to make some magic here. Uh, you know, whether it would be a field goal ending or whatever, but it was, it was just exciting to see that. Um, Holly, let's bring in our college football guru who was on, on Twitter with me with C-Rain and everybody else, Ruby Reyes also, um, Troy Wilson here. Troy, um, I don't think you were shocked uh, because I saw you tweeting out saying this is not over yet. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you have a, a, a Dick Saban coach team, I mean, those guys, they really don't get nervous. I mean, they're so used to the spotlight. They're so used to the big games. Uh, and that goes for both of those teams. That goes for Georgia as well. I mean, they're so used to those big games. You can never really count them out. I think the only thing that we were, uh, we were you know, worried about was whether or not Alabama had the offense to come from behind. I mean, because they were down big in the, in the first half, relatively. They don't have. They didn't have a big passing game. And then when Nick Saban goes to uh, to to a, um, a tackle by Loa, wow. I mean, we were all shocked. I mean, I, was, I said, wow. I mean, this they putting this kid in now. I follow recruiting um, nationally, and so I had heard of Tua. Uh, and I had heard of, of all the accolades and, you know, um, uh, him being an understudy uh, for, um, for Holly's uh, favorite player of all, of all time. You know, I've, I've heard <laughs> of him. I'm like, you know, and I heard the arm, and everyone was saying, man, you got to watch out for this kid. You got to watch out for this kid. And, you know, most people were really shocked um, to, to see him come in, especially knowing how successful Jalen Hurts has been in the last two seasons, really only losing two games. And and so most people were shocked. But, you know, the one thing you have to say about Nick Saban is that he doesn't care if you're a freshman. He doesn't care if you are a fifth-year senior. If you can play, you will get on the field. He tells people that. He said, he said that during recruiting. He says, if you, if you want to come here to compete and play for a national championship, you can come to Alabama. I'm not promising you anything. You know, you don't. You, I don't owe you anything, but you'll come out here. You will play if you're the best guy, and that's what he did. And most people were really shocked, and it really took a lot of guts to do that. But I really feel like that's what really good coaching is. And when you have a guy like that, you're never out of the game. You, when you have a coach who knows his players and and is not afraid to pull the trigger, um, you know, for criticism and what, or what have you, he's never out of a game. And so, no, I wasn't shocked. But I was shocked of how the offense moved with a guy who really hadn't played much all year, if at all, 
and, and he just came in there and he had no fear. And I just I love the way both of those freshman quarterbacks play, especially Jake Fromm, who we've been speaking about all year, uh, especially with, uh, Holly and I. And we were just, you know, at all with the kid because of how, how much poise he has. And then both of those kids come out there with that much poise and to, to play the way that they did. I really think this is one of the most memorable national championship games I've ever watched. Troy, you were talking about the defense having a kink in their armor, but Sabian at the end pretty much said, you know, next man up, and that's what happened. There's key players that stood up, shut down Georgia, and in the end they, it gave them the opportunity to win in overtime because that's all they needed was to go to overtime, and he knew that, go to overtime. But th- what happened with the kicker? Did you feel at that point with that missed kick that they were kind of doom and gloom at this point? No, no, I didn't. Um, I, because I felt like with Alabama's defense, Alabama had a really good chance to at least limit Georgia to, to three points. And I thought maybe maybe not. they would maybe have limited them to zero points, especially when Fromm took that huge sack in, in, in second down. You really got to get rid of that ball. I mean, you cannot take a sack in that position, especially in overtime. But, you know, luckily their kicker came out there. He made a 51-yard field goal. It was right down the middle. Huge leg on that kid. So that that was huge. So I felt like, you know, this may go into a second overtime, especially when uh, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, when he came out there and he took a sack on second, on, uh, second down. And I'm like, wow. I mean, you know, then I felt like, okay, these kids are now, you know, kind of playing like freshmen as the spotlight getting to them. And he comes right out there and he throws a rope. You know, he, he did that right against cover two. I know I had a lot of criticism about the call, especially when you're, you know, they, you're that far back. I think they took a 14-yard loss. And so it's second and 24 and you, you play cover two. I'm not sure if I would have did that, but who am I to second guess? Kirby Smart is one of the best defensive minds in college football and football period for that matter. But – Wow, I mean, he, he he manipulated the safety, and he had, you know, the safety in, in the middle of the field, and he manipulated him, and then he just he, he throws the nine route right to the left side of the corner. I mean, wow. I was I was honestly shocked that he was that wide open, but just, you know, the play the play call was just so gutsy and huge. I, I, I was just – I was in awe. I was literally sitting there for about – maybe a good 10 seconds with my mouth open just watching that play. I mean, my heart goes out to the Georgia kids, but, man, you know, you got to be excited for all the kids on that Alabama sideline. What a huge play that was. Um, Holly, what was up with that scuffle between 48 and the coach? I mean, did he not get his popcorn or something? He was so mad. You know, that was pretty crazy, especially for – uh, an Alabama team. You don't usually see a whole lot of that from from Alabama. And from what I saw, he was on special teams the play before, and I think he got uh, upset by something that a player setter did, and he threw a punch at him. So he got uh, penalized for it. He got a personal foul. So they took him out of the game. Saban said something to him, and you know the next thing I know, they're panning back to him, and he's like coming after his assistant coach it looked like and players had to hold him back and, and he just kept going on and on until he finally sat down on uh on the side uh with the with the chair. And it was like one of those things where it's like, gosh, I know 
how emotional football can be. Like, I get it. You know I mean? People sometimes lose their cool, but you can't ever you can't ever go after your coach like that. That's, there's no excuse for it. And even during the big moment like that, you, you still can't do it. And the thing that really surprised me, honestly, is I don't know if, like, they even didn't know that it happened, which is very possible because there's a lot of people on the sideline. But that kid was back in, you know, the next uh, uh, punt. And, That's what and I'm talking about. He yet. should have been ejected. Yeah. He should have been ejected or removed. Oh, my God. And when I saw him back in there. If it were me. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, if if it were me, if I were a coach, I would totally send him to the locker room. And I would have a serious conversation with him after that game about his behavior and the future that he had with the program. At the very least, if not kicked off the team, suspended or, or something serious. Because not only do you have to send a message to him, but you have to send a message to the rest of the team that, you know, I I get that Alabama at that point especially was very frustrated. They're not used to losing. They were frustrated about losing last year to Clemson. You know, it's like they're they're not used to being in that spot, but you can't act like a giant baby, throw a fit on the sideline, and go after your coach and think that it's all going to be okay. And so I'm hoping that the Alabama coaching staff maybe missed it somehow or maybe they're going to deal with him later because you can't allow that to go on on your team no matter how good you are because then somebody else will be like, oh, well, that guy got away with it, so I can do it. And you can't do that. So I totally agree. And when he came back in, he was like, uh, what do you call it, uh, horse tackling people from the, from the neck areas and stuff, just violently stuff. And the refs were just, some of the calls, they should have been made, and they didn't make the call. Um, on the sideline call, obviously, that's the coach's call. That's not a ref call, but that would have been on Savian and his, his coaching staff to make that decision. But they looked like they cooled him down, and it looked like they put him in, in check. And that's the reason I think he brought him back, uh, because he basically sat him down. I saw a couple coaches sit him down in the bench area, kind of just giving him a reality check, you know. Um, and so I think that's why they brought him back. Um, Troy, what's your sense on that? What was uh, what, what were you thinking when you saw that? You know, when 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 a guy loses, cool. Um, it, it's really one of those. It, it, it honestly depends on the player. Um, I'm not gonna lie. You know, when I played, I was a hothead. You know, it just really took somebody to say something like, uh, "Man, your shoes look funny." And I'm, you know, I'm kind of ready to fight. So I mean, <laughs> he may be. One of those guys like you know like that. So, I mean, some some guys they look for a reason to be upset and, and things like that. But you know, you have to understand what situation that you're in and that your teammates are counting on you. Um, that, but again, you're, you're talking about one of the best coaching staffs, if not the best coaching staff in, in football. So they handle their players very well. And you know, I wasn't so much concerned about it. But man, if he would have got ejected, I thought that would have been you know. It would have been – he would have had the answer for that one. And it would have been pretty harsh even though the season is over. I mean, you know, you, that coaching staff does not forget these, those things. And that would have carried over into the next season, especially with the off-season workouts, I think. But I just think, you know, you, again, you have to be smarter in that situation. Yeah, and I think that's where the key is. Uh, more than likely, we're not going to see anything about this anymore because I saw a, a little bit of where – 
he was uh, put back into the side, into the bench area, and there was more than one coach that was addressing him. And then he came out and just pretty much, you know, kind of leveled himself. So uh, I'm thinking that's been addressed. Yeah, I mean, and again, I mean, it's, you know, it, it is a game where, you know, we do, you know, you do play on emotion. And I think that's one of the things, I mean, these kids, I mean, they, they know these kids since a lot of them since they were freshmen, high, you know, sophomores in high school. And so they've gotten to know these guys. I mean, one of the uh, the, the under um, what at least talked about things about being a head coach is also being a psychologist. And so you know what makes your players tick. I mean, some players, uh, you know, if you think back to Bill Parcells or Jimmy Johnson, they knew which players that they can yell at and they can scream at and they can get the best out of them. And then they also had the players that they knew they would have to bring them to the side, coddle them a little bit, um, you know, kind of talk lightly to them, and they respond better to things like that. And I believe that they know how that kid, you know, will respond to those things. And they, they probably had a bead on this, is, this may be his type of personality. Just let them sit back, you know, cool off a little bit and let them know, listen, man, your guys need you out there. And I'm pretty sure his teammates came up and let them know that also. And when you get that kind of support, you know, even though you, you know, he almost made a, a, a pretty critical mistake. When you have guys that have your back like that, it makes you not want to disappoint them. And um, I, I just think that, you know, I, I think really he just, he kind of got his, you know, his bearings back together and allowed him to go out there and play. But, you know, if, if you take a guy out and you punish him for that, you, sometimes you really can't, you know, just take a guy out of a game just because they make a mistake. I think sometimes people are really quick to do that. And he's lucky that the referees didn't do it for him. Uh, but I just think, you know, they allowed him to make that mistake and then come back out there and play. And he actually played very well, especially on special teams uh, when he came back out there. Yeah, I think the talk worked in that sense. Um, Holly, at the beginning, everybody thought, man, this is a boring game. But uh, if you talk to uh, Troy's uh, – groupies on Twitter, this is an exciting game. So uh, offensively, you know, offensively, everybody was like on Twitter, I can tell you right now, everybody on Twitter was like, oh, my God, a low-scoring game. They're all whining. And then you have the bunch on the other side going, this is what we want. Tooth and nails fight, scrounge for points. This is what we want. And so uh, two sides to the coin in terms of watching the national championship. I actually am probably in the uh, Troy groupie camp because I loved it. And the defensive it mind intense. person. Yeah, I mean, even the first half, which which had less points, it was still, I thought, amazing. And probably maybe that's because I'm a defensive player. And But I think the defenses were played really well in that first half. And what I loved about it was the chess match uh, between the two coaching staffs because it was obvious you could tell that they knew each other well. And and I thought it was telling that uh, these are two really predominantly running teams and they came out throwing the ball. They kind of had – they both had the same uh, strategy and it worked well for Georgia the first half. Um, and then they got really conservative for some reason in the second half. But I loved it because it was intense, and you knew that it was a grudge match, and you knew it was an SEC match, and you knew the defensive uh, uh, teams on both sides were really good, and and I I loved every second of it. So now, sometimes I think uh, to a casual fan, 
you know, they want 100 points for each team on the scoreboard, and they think that's entertaining. And it, it is to a point. But I I get just as excited when I see really good defenses play. So that's what we have in the first half, especially. I was on the Twitter feed, and as soon as I at Troy Wilson underscore one, it's like the fury of fire came out. All these defensive fanatics came out. You had C Rain come out. You got Rudy Reyes come out. Everybody started coming out. <laughs> I made a little thing. Oh, this is a boring game or whatever. And they're like, hey, what is your problem? This is awesome. <laughs> so uh, uh, Troy over here oh, brought man, the clan over. I'll tell, I tell you, man, my thing was what I loved about that game is that it was very, very physical. I mean, a very physical football game. You love to see that. You know, as a as a, any kind of football fan, the one thing I think we can all agree on is that we all like to see hard hits. And, man, those kids were flying out there. And, you know, you, you had to wonder, and they kept bringing it up during the broadcast, is how long is Georgia going to be able to keep up that pace? Because, man, I mean, they played very physical against Oklahoma, even though they had a, you know, pretty much of a high-scoring game because Oklahoma's offense is just, is just high-octane. But – they were still extremely physical in that game. You know, there was a lot of big hits, a lot of hitting going on out there. And you knew it was going to be the same thing with Alabama and because they're big and strong just like Georgia is. So, man, I mean, I, I was so excited just watching that game, especially when you know that you have two of the best defensive minds in the game and Kirby Smart being, you know, uh, coming out of that Nick Saban, uh, that coaching tree. And that's what he that's what his forte is and also that's Nick Saban's forte in defense. You knew it was gonna be a defensive matchup. It was just gonna be who was gonna be able to make who was gonna make that mistake and what offense was actually gonna be able to make the big play. And at the end of it, man, uh, you know, Alabama just made the bigger plays. But on defense, both of those teams, they just played lights out. I could not have been happier with all with both of the defensive efforts out there. Well, you know what? We even had players carted off the field. So WWE style play in certain in certain in certain spots. Uh, it was just kind of crazy. Close lines, uh, total you know total uh, chaotic uh, confrontations, roll arounds. I mean, it's pretty intense. So uh, I'll have to give you guys credit. Yeah, yes, that, that, it was a it was an awesome defensive game to begin with. And at the beginning, everybody thought, "Oh my God!" And I think the only the, the only real offensive highlight was uh, probably the quarterback change in Alabama at that point. And then when he started doing, like Holly says, his Russell Wilson swings and stuff and throwing the arm out, and then he started to get into a groove. So that kind of changed everything. It kind of woke everybody up, I guess. Yeah, that game was so physical that the corner, it was a freshman cornerback on the sideline. He wasn't even in the game, and he passed out on the sideline. That's how physical no. the game was. That's when you know you got, <laughs> you know you got a strong defensive effort out there, man. Seriously, man, I saw that. I, I was reading it. I was the I, one of the first guys to post that off of Sports Illustrated uh, off my feed. It just came up, and I'm like, uh, what happened here? Somebody fainted? What? <laughs> I'm like, really? Exactly, man. I said, wow. I, I hope that kid's okay, man. He looked like he was all right when they carted him off. Yeah, and, you yeah, know, that's, kinda... that's the tradition, I think, in both in both clubs, I think, right? I'm trying to uh, look up the update on the, the guy that uh, collapsed on the sideline. It looks like he's fine. They said it's a non-athletic medical issue, 
And apparently he wasn't even playing. He was just on the sideline and fainted, basically. Um, so I'm glad he was okay, because anytime you see somebody with a stretcher like that, that's scary, for sure. So, Troy, um, you had WWE-style play with certain plays that I saw out there, you know, some brutal hits and stuff. So, right, it wasn't the Royal Rumble of the National Championship, but it certainly got to that point in, in the uh, overtime. So when you saw that throw, as you said, the uh, the rope throw, um, what was your thought at that point? It was wide open, right? It was like coverage was just kind of broken in some aspect. Yeah, I was trying to figure, you know, it, when they lined up, you I mean, you can kind of tell just by where the safety was lined up. It was cover two and, and how the corner was playing. Um, he was, you know, maybe three or four yards off the ball. He, he, he saw it was in cover two, but they tried to disguise it a little bit on the backs on the uh, by the safeties. And uh, initially, the safeties, but they were lined up. Um, it was a two safety look, uh, cover two look, and then you know the free safety on the left. He kind of veered to the middle of the field when uh, Tagovailoa kind of manipulated him a little bit, uh, and we couldn't see that into the replay. But um, I thought it was masterful for him to do that. I mean, just again, as a freshman, and it, it, this is his, you know, first significant amount of playing time this season, for him to be able to, to have that kind of moxie and uh, and just manipulate him like that, I just thought it was a hell of a throw. But, man, that, that throw got there in a hurry. I mean, that kid has an arm on him. And so just a great play. It was a great play. It was a gutsy play call also, considering – uh, that these guys were – it was a second and 24, I believe, it was second and 26 because he took a huge sack. Again, he can't do that. For him to come back after making that big mistake and, and acquit himself, I just thought that this spoke that speaks volumes for that kid. And everybody's really just – you know, they really are looking forward to him next year. I mean, you got to wonder what, what's going through Jalen Hurts' head. Uh, is he going to transfer? Because it looks like that he's, you know – there's no way Jalen Hurts comes in as a starter next year. Just by watching how Tago Valoa uh, played in that championship game, there's no way Hurts comes back as a starter despite his 26-5 record. I agree. I think the the kids earned the spot, so we'll see how that turns out. Um, you guys can check us out on Snapchat now, 2008. Holly Custis will be doing some takeovers. We've got a couple athletes doing takeovers internationally as well. So we'll get you the calendar and who's coming up and when. You can check us out on Twitter and our Facebook page as well. And we're going to have a lot of fun going on to Snapchat, talking fitness tips, health tips, football tips, and just a little bit of, you know, just fun stuff. So uh, look forward to it on our Snapchat. You can follow us at Gridiron Beauty on Snapchat as well. So go follow us and add us. It'll be great. Um, guys, the wildcard weekend was exciting for some of us. Uh, some of us are out of the playoffs, um, was in the playoffs, pretty exciting. But uh, somehow, you know, my Rams just didn't show up. And then when they showed up, they showed up a little too late. Uh, Drew Brees takes care of the Panthers. Um, Holly, the concussion protocol for Newton, bad call in the NFL, bad call by the refs. What do we say about that? It's really kind of a tough call because when he took the hit, he definitely was a bit loopy. And then he starts to jog off to the sideline, 
and then he collapses before he gets there. And then they check him out, and, like, he looks kind of like he's not there. And then they say, oh, well, it's because his visor got shoved into his eye. And granted, I get that would not be pleasant. I, I have contacts. I've I've been poked in the eye so hard one time I thought my contact came out, but it really didn't. It just got shoved into my eye. So granted, it does not feel good when you get any kind of contact with your eye like that, right? But that would not make you loopy. It would make you irritated, and you probably, your eye would be irritated, and, and it would not be pleasant. But I've never been poked in the eye and collapsed. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's a, it's a different kind of thing. And so it's hard to tell, you know, if they did it correctly or not because we don't know exactly what happened. And so I think the NFL is right in investigating it. Um, I think because... They had the footage of him collapsing. They had the footage of him just kind of looking kind of spacey. I think it, it's a it's a horrible look. And so the NFL needs to do their due diligence by checking it out for sure. Troy, your thoughts? Well, you, you had you had two that happened. I mean, the same thing um, happened to Tyrod Taylor um, in the Bills game. But we're talking about the Cam Newton play. I, I What I said was, when I saw that, I said to myself, there's no way he's coming out of that game. There's no way. he's. Coming. I mean, it's a playoff game. It's his last drive of the game. There's no way he's coming out of that game. And from a player standpoint, I understand that you wouldn't want to come out of that game. And, um, you know, but then also from the NFL standpoint, and let's be real, I don't think it's because of player safety. If there, if the NFL was really worried about player safety, they would have changed a whole lot more than just head, you know, the head contact. I mean, you would also change how they're scheduling these games, these Thursday games, things of that nature. But that's neither here nor there. When I saw that play, I knew that Cam Newton was not going to come out of that game, and I knew that the people on that sideline was not going to was going to do everything in their possibility to make sure that he stayed in there. Now, I'm going to go, you know, a little bit conspiracy theorist here. I think, honestly, what some teams are doing is they have an independent neurologist on the sideline to ask these questions. But I think what teams are starting to do is prepare the players that if they have a concussion, how to answer the questions. I just think that's really part of it. Because, I mean, some some concussions you can't fake that. I mean, you, you know, you can't. You can't fake that test. I mean, like with Tyrod Taylor, he was out. I mean, he you saw his hand kind of kind of spread apart, and you knew he was out for the count. But, you know, some concussions are more mild than others. And I think that what if, if uh, Cam Newton did have a uh, concussion, I think it was a mild one. But I think they really kind of, you know, tipped the scales a little bit to make sure that he got back in that game because you didn't want to have – Derek Anderson coming in at that point in the final drive against the Saints trying to get, you know, trying to get a playoff win. So I knew they would have did whatever they could to get him out there. Troy, uh, Blake Bortles, is he ready to beat Pittsburgh once again? Do you think the Jaguars, given what uh, a tough defensive win against the Bills, do you think Bortles is is ready for the spotlight if he beats the, the Steelers?
Uh, Bortles, Colley, you I there? think he's he's gonna have. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, uh, I can hear you. Bortles is gonna have his part to play. He's gonna have his part to play in this in this game. But I don't think it really comes down to him. I think that the one thing that um, people tend to kind of overlook is that Pittsburgh is not the same Pittsburgh that we've grown up on. You know, this is not, you know, our Pittsburgh Steelers when we were kids. This team is not very good on defense. And the Bills are a much better uh, defensive football team. And I think they're going to have a much easier time moving the ball down the field against Pittsburgh as they did in the first matchup. Um, will Pittsburgh be able to kind of scheme their way into this one? I'm not so sure. But Blake Bortles is really just going to have to take care of the football, and they're going to play their game. They're going to play defense. They're going to try to take care of the football and limit turnovers. And, you know, they're going to pass the ball when they need to. But I I really think that it's not going to come down to Bortles. I think it's really going to come down to how they're going to run the football and if they can get some takeaways with, with Ben Roethlisberger, on the other side, uh, um, the other thing is, is Antonio, um, is Antonio Brown going to play? Um, that's the huge caveat. Now they have some huge playmakers at wide receiver position. Uh, you got Juju Smith-Schuster over on that side. And, um, you know, so these guys, uh, you also have Martavius Bryant, who's kind of gotten out of the doghouse and become a football player again. So they have some weapons on there, but you need, Antonio Brown. He's probably the best wide receiver in the NFL. And if you take that out of that lineup, it's going to be pretty tough for the Steelers to win, especially against an already vaunted defense of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But that secondary and that defensive line and that linebacker core, they move they move people out of the way and they play with speed. It's going to be a tough matchup for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's I think it's going to be a, a big chess more so for Pittsburgh than it is for the Jaguars. Holly, um, the Chiefs, the Andy Reid uh, curse lives in Kansas City as it lived in Philadelphia. And so uh, Mariota, your boy, is moving on to take on TB12. So uh, are we rooting for an upset here and send TB12 home? Well, it's going to be pretty tough, I think, you know, with the Titans and Chiefs game. The Chiefs were up for uh, 12-3 early in the third. Um, and then I can't talk more about that pass that Marietta caught off the deflection and caught his own pass and scored the touchdown. Oh, yeah. It's one of the, the best plays I've ever seen in my entire life. That was just – I've seen quarterbacks tip the ball or had it tip back to them. I've never seen one – catch his own deflection and then score a touchdown off of it. And that was pretty awesome. And But uh, really, so Marcus played pretty well, but really the key to that game for the Titans was Derrick Henry. Um, they they ran the ball well, and the Chiefs did not run the ball well. Um, and that was basically the game there. Um, and uh, they only had, I think, 69 team rushing yards for the Chiefs. And uh, Derrick Henry had 156 just himself. So I think really that's where the, the Chiefs lost the game. They they weren't able to run their entire game plan. Um, when they are moving the ball well, because they, they run the ball well first. And uh, the Titans' defense played well. Uh, now for the Titans and Patriots game, it's going to be really interesting. It could go one of two ways. Um, the Patriots still don't have the best front seven against the run. 
So if Derrick Henry uh, can uh, put together another game like that, that's going to help a lot. Um, but at the same time, I think the Patriots are going to be – it's basically going to be like going into the angry hornet's nest. I think the Patriots have had a lot of um, public drama the last week or so, and, you know, it's kind of like Alabama. You, you know you don't want to kick the hornet's nest, and I feel like they're going to come out really pissed, and they're going to come out and try to – to uh, roll on the Titans. Um, and so it's either going to be a close, ugly game, or I can see the Patriots completely blowing them out. It's one of two things. Um, and so the Titans, if they're going to win, they need to run the ball, and they need to let Marcus be Marcus. One of the things that I noticed this year is the coaching staff and Titans were really kind of putting the handcuffs on Marcus. They, did, they, they were trying to protect him a lot, I think, and granted he was kind of nicked up a bit, which doesn't help either. But this last, the second half of that game, it felt like they took the shackles off and he was able to run around and kind of be himself. And that's what made him great in college is he's a very uh, rhythm-based player. So if he gets in a rhythm, you let him run, you let him get more aggressive, then good things happen. And so if the Titans are going to win, they need to, to let him be himself. Um, but honestly, I think the Patriots are just going to have too much. I think the Titans still have some holes left to fill uh, this coming off season. They're, they're getting closer, but I think the Patriots have too much. Um, Troy, you have a prediction here for the a- NFC side. Uh, are you going with the Eagles and the Saints? Are you going with the Falcons and the Saints? I mean, what's your What's your predictions for the NFC? Um, I'm going – I think that the the winners of this week are going to be the Minnesota Vikings and the Atlanta Falcons. I just think um, Atlanta, with the experience that they have, and they've kind of, you know, they've gotten, you know, back on, on track the past three weeks, especially with this playoff game. I mean, they're going to be riding high off of this one, even though, um, man, I mean, they, they really dodged the bullet. Because I mean, I just it seemed like the Rams kind of just changed up, you know, what they do best. Um, but I think that the, the the Eagles, their problem is Nick Foles. He's not playing very well, and you know, the the past five games that he's been out there, he has not looked very good. And so, they, I think really that's what it comes down to. Because yeah, I mean, the Eagles can run the ball, but you know, they. I don't think that people really are going to rely on that running game, and not to mention that Atlanta's uh, front seven is pretty big in, in, on the defensive line, and their linebackers can run with anybody. And so, and they did that against the Rams very, very effectively yeah. too. Yes, and, and not to mention they are they are incredible pass rushers. I mean, they have pass rushers at pretty much every position on that front seven. And they're really going to get after it. Their cornerbacks, you know, they're they're pretty aggressive, uh, especially with Trufant on on the right side. I mean, these guys are they're, they're aggressive back there. And so I just really think that Atlanta sort of underachieved earlier in this year. I think they kind of got back on track. Um, and I think part of their underachievement was how tough their division was. Um, but you know. I just think that they're back on track right now. I think the Eagles are kind of just beat up, especially, you know, with the quarterback position. They need some movement at that, that, posi- at that position. I just don't think Nick Foles has it. So I'm going to pick Atlanta. And with Minnesota, I just think Minnesota, man, they've been riding high all year. 
and you know, they have this week off, and you, you do get that little bit of concern that, you know, they haven't, um, you know, they got that week off, and are they going to be able to keep that momentum? But the, the way that they've played this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I just think that it bodes well for them that they are they, they play defense the way that they do, and I just think that that will help them against that high-octane offense with Drew Brees and company coming in there. Are they going to be able to stop the run? I think that's the biggest thing. Um, if they can take away the run and then kind of force Brees into some interceptions, because uh, as good as Brees is, he is prone to throw the interception. And they have some ball hawking corners out there, especially, um, uh, you know, that, that secondary, they can run. They can, and they can, they can definitely uh, match up man-to-man. And so it's going to be a tough goal for New Orleans, especially going up there to that dome. They're used to playing in the dome, but they're kind of used to being quiet when they're on offense. And it's going to be a whole different story when they get up to Minnesota. Minnesota, I think, really takes this game, and I think they win it by – I think they probably win it by eight points. All right, Holly, let's analyze the AFC. We got Jaguars, Steelers, third meeting. And you have, obviously, we just talked about Patriots and Titans. So, uh, who are you taking? Okay, so, um, like I said before, I'm going to take the Patriots, um, and I'm going to take the Jaguars. Um, I think Troy's absolutely right. It's not the same Steelers team, especially if you don't have Antonio Brown. I think Antonio Brown basically is the majority of the reason why the Steelers are 13-3 and right now. I think if you take him away, Bell's been kind of inconsistent this year, and there goes a lot of their offense. Um, and then their defense is not that great either. I think the Jags have a better overall team, top to bottom, when you're talking about all three facets of the game. I think the Jaguars were actually kind of not that spectacular last week, though. They, if they're going to have a kind of flat game, I guess that was going to be it against the Bills. But they need to run the ball. They need more production out of Fournette this game. Um, to help them against the Steelers, and they need to create turnovers like they have been all year. If they do, the, if they do those two things, I think the Jaguars are going to upset the Steelers. And so I'm going to take the, the Patriots and the Jaguars. All right, so we got Jags, Patriots on the AFC side. Uh, Troy's going with Falcons, Vikings. Uh, I'm going to throw a kick in here. I'm going to go Falcons, Saints, and I'm going to say uh, Titans, Jaguars. I just have a feeling that maybe New England gets wow. gets thrown out, but uh, that's I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just throwing it out there because wow. if they can do what the Man, Dolphins, if they can do, if game. they can do what the Dolphins did to Brady, uh, they have a chance. But it's a very slim chance. But I'll go, I'll go with that. But uh, more than likely, it's going to be TV12 overcoming, as you as you guys have pointed out. But uh, I'm not an analyst, so I don't claim to be one. So I'm just a fan. No, I look, I like the gussy call, man. I like that. I, I really do, especially, listen, you know what would be a great story? And this is underplayed, especially when it comes to rivalries, okay? The rivalry between Jacksonville and Tennessee has ratcheted up, especially when those two went head-to-head. They don't like each other. And as a matter of fact, they were actually chirping, saying, oh, man, like uh, I think uh, Jarrell Casey said, oh, man, I wish we were playing Jacksonville because that dude Bortles sucks. And and I think, you know, that Jacksonville, some of their players had chirped about, uh, you know, uh, wishing they could play Tennessee. Also, I, I just think this is this is going to be great. And not to mention how Tennessee kind of uh, – they, they came back and they won. 
against Jacksonville in that final uh, seat, the final game of the season, which helped them solidify their position in the playoffs. Man, that would be a huge, huge game, and I just really think that'd be great for the NFL to have a new rivalry kind of get pushed to the forefront, and not just Steelers Patriots because we know they don't like each other at all. But I mean, this would be a real underplay rivalry, I think, if that did happen. So. Uh, you know what? I would kind of like to see that, man. A little bit of new blood in the AFC wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. Would it? No, it wouldn't. Holly, do you think the Jaguar, fa- the Jaguar fans, the coach gave them the the ball last week for the win against Kansas City? Uh, I mean, against uh, the Bills, not Kansas City, against the Bills. So what? wouldn't it be great if they take care of the Steelers and that, one step away from the Super Bowl? I mean, that's just like – I think it w- it would be great, and um, you know, I would just like to point out that I did say that the Titans and Jaguars would be in the playoffs, and here they are. Um, I think the Jaguars are more complete. You did, than the you Titans did do right that, now. so we will confirm that. <laughs> I think the Jags are a little bit more complete uh, right now, but the Titans, um, you know, are closing that gap. And and Troy's absolutely right; they, they hate each other. They're in the same division. And they're both up-and-coming teams, you know. And um, I think we're going to see them have uh, a great uh, run the next few years between the two of them. And so I agree, new blood would be good. I mean, it does it does kind of get old just to see the Patriots and Steelers every other year. So um, I'm rooting for that. That would be awesome. So, Troy, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to go on a limb. Atlanta. Jacksonville in the Super Bowl. Oh, gosh. <laughs> wow. Wow. That 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 would be extremely interesting. That would be very interesting. But I'm, I'm going to tell you this, right? If, if this happens, okay, if Tennessee and Jacksonville end up playing for the AFC Championship, you know how the, you know, the, the old saying is it's a copycat league? Do you really oh, think yeah. for one second that all NFL teams are not going to pay attention to how the Jacksonville Jaguars built their team? They built from the defensive line. They built net defense first, and they're out there, and they have a possibility of going to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles as quarterback, who hasn't played very well. He's played well in spurts, but he has been inconsistent. You could say the same thing for Tennessee. Well, Tennessee, and, and also let me say this on offense, what they've done is concentrated on the run game. And the NFL has kind of gone to a passing league, right? But now you're seeing the influx of all of these running backs coming out, out of college. And you're going to see that this year also with guys like Sony Michelle and, um, and Nick Chubb and, and, and players like that. Um, and so you're going to start to see a shift in the dynamic of how teams want to build because they're going to say, you know what, maybe we should start with our running game, our offensive line, and let's put our defense together and we'll see if we can beat teams that way because it looks like Jacksonville, Tennessee is doing the same thing. If that happens, I really think it's really going to turn the NFL upside down if that happens. I can say I think, one name right. that everybody will relate to right now, Coughlin and Jacksonville. That's the difference for the Jag defense, I think. Coughlin back in Jacksonville. I, I agree. I think, um, you know, as we have seen the introduction of spread offenses, you know, the last 10, 15 years here, it's completely changed the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball in response to that. And I think what happens is, uh, you know, initially when Oregon was running their own tempo spread offense, nobody, nobody could keep up. 
And then what happened is defenses got smarter and they responded. And then then you have to have a counter to that counter. And I think we're going to see is we're going to see the pendulum go the other direction, like Troy was saying, and, and it's going to be more of a uh, run first type of environment that's going to make a comeback. And I'm I'm actually going to pick the the Jags versus the Vikings in the Super Bowl. All right. Wow. That's, that's interesting we, oh, too. I like that's this, interesting man. too. This yeah. Is great. This is this is great. I like this, man. I like this. I so like we're not. It. We're neither of us are in unison we're not here. Shy. <laughs> no, that That's makes good. it more fun. I mean, yeah, I it makes it more fun. Yes. Team, I think the Jags are the only team um, uh, left that I really feel like could beat the Patriots, and so they're able to beat the Patriots. And they're obviously in the Super Bowl, and I think that the, the Vikings. You know, if the Eagles had wins, it'd be completely different. But I think the Vikings are the best team left. The Falcons have more experience, so that could come and bite them. But I think the Vikings are a better team. All right. So All right. there you go. I'm, Count it I'm up. Gonna, I'm going to go a little. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit out on the limb, and I'm going to make some history here too. I'm going to go Patriots. I'm going to be born on the AFC side, right? But I think this will be the very first home game to be played in the Super Bowl. So I'm going New England and the Minnesota Vikings at home in the Super Bowl. That's what I'm going with. I- I'm sticking to it. I'm Troy. not changing my vote. Not changing. Troy, Troy, you just you just gave all the Skull fans out there fuel to crush TB12 and Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Man, Walking into the stadium on Super Bowl good, Sunday – the evil empire across from you in your hometown, and this is the Super Bowl. I mean, can you not get any more hype for that? Oh, my God. That that place will go nuts. It will be – that will be something to watch right there, man. That will be something. I know All right. the Patriots, but, man, for to have Minnesota play a home game against whoever, I think it will be great. Oh, yeah, it would be awesome. All right, guys, uh, check out our Zazzle uh, shop, No Joe Football Shop. Get your leggings and other gifts there and make sure you use a special code every day save up to 40% off check us out on Snapchat uh, Holly Custis doing a takeover this next week so don't miss it there and we got to give you the, the re, uh, recap here uh, Gridiron West the Blitz the Perth undefeated Perth Blitz 7-0 seven, seven on season they blast the Swan City Titans 66-0 to and so week 14, Ooh. January 13th, coming up, Curtin Saints will be taking on the Perth Broncos. Wolverines, West Coast Wolverines taking on the Perth Blitz. Uh, well, West Coast Wolverines, I can tell you right now, based on how the Blitz have played out there with Nicole Harvey, you're in for a shocker. That will decide pretty much playoff berths. The Blitz have already earned the playoff berth. Now it's a battle between the other teams as to who gets in first, second, and third. Uh, the last game is week 15, January 20th. It will be the Broncos taking on the Titans. Um, so at this point, it's more like the Saints and the Broncos and the Blitz in a three-way. Um, so we'll see how it turns out in Gridiron West. Um, check out all our stuff on our Facebook page, Gridiron Beauties Insights every weekly recaps, inside stories, just like Adrian Wilson of Seattle Majestics on why I play football. Alicia Woodcott signs with the Detroit uh, Dark Angels of the WFA, the linebacker sensation from Grant uh, Blank High School, and she's going to be in the WFA for 2018. Then there's more stories there. Go to our Facebook page weekly, check it out. 
You can also follow us on Twitter daily at Gridiron Beauty, and we're on Snapchat now, all for all 2018. So check out all the outfits that are kind of come up. So uh, for Troy Wilson, for Holly Cussis, and for our special guest, Nausicaa Del Otro, um, who came on to t- talk about Italian uh, women's football and as well as her experience in the NFL films. Uh, we'll catch you here next week as we look forward to the matchups in the AFC Conference Championships uh, and the NFC Conference Championships. So uh, have a great day, everybody. We'll see you here next Tuesday for another edition of The Blitz. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Have a great night. Good night. Good night, all.